I'm excited, y'all. We're going to get into a, a series that, you know, I, I shared first service, maybe I'm living larger this year. Sometimes, you know, people say to me, Pastor, how do you know, you know, like what series you're going to preach on? I don't know. Why are you asking me? I got to come up with a message every week. Are you kidding me? Uh, sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder. But I always go before the Lord in desperation. And, and here's the question, Lord, what do you, you know, what do you want? Uh, what's on your heart for our church family. But I love it when he gives me more than, you know, a short series at a time, and that's what we have for this year. So if you kind of want to know where we're headed this year, you ready for this? Here's where we're headed. We're going to lay a really exciting foundation beginning today with our call to love Jesus, follow Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus, uh, and experience what he's called us to do in joining him in uh, this side of eternity with an amazing uh, call on all of our lives, which is going to be really cool. Then we're going to move into a series on Easter, uh, that's going to deal with gifting, all right? And this is going to be really cool because most of the time we get frustrated with each other because we don't understand how God's wired us. And we're going to understand in a deeper way how God's wired each of us, the gifts that he's given to us, why people are gifted, why people act the way that they act. Like, I could be ticked off at Brian, frustrated at Brian. Brian, you irritate me. How come you always look at it from this perspective? Or I can realize that Brian has a different set of gifts than me, and he's actually there to compliment me. And when I understand Brian, then I love Brian. Then I don't hate Brian. Then I don't cause a church split with Brian. All right? I love him. I understand him. Are you all getting the point? Um, and here's the cool thing. All of us are incredibly, uniquely gifted in amazing ways, which should get us really, really excited. But here's the other thing. The gifts aren't for us, right? They're to serve the body of Christ and serve the world. And so that's, a, that's kind of a cool side to that. And then we're going to move into the fall, and we're going to deal with the whole topic of mobilizing this amazing army that God's given us here, all right, which means getting off the bench, getting in the game. It's interesting that uh, I appreciate what Holly had to say. There are a lot of people that say get to be my age. You know, I was born on a Tuesday, I believe, and I was in church that Sunday, and I haven't missed hardly any Sundays since, all right, if that's my background. Um, my mom and dad were Christian folks, and my mom made sure that I was sitting on those hard wood pews. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> hard wood pews with the little cards in the front that you pulled out. I used to color on those, and I used to get the eye from my dad, like, you be quiet or you're dead. And then occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, I, there was no children's church. Hello. It was just torture on a hard bench. And then there were times, one time, my dad actually picked me up, then we walked down the center aisle, which was not to get saved, all right? <laughs> I needed prayer to be saved because I was leaving, I was pleading with people, pray for me, pray for me, <laughs> because I knew that I had acted up one too many times, and uh, dad was going out to uh, correct me and raise me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Um, anybody know what I'm talking about? So how many of you know we've come a long way? Now, some of that was good, teaching our kids discipline and sit and listen and all that. That's good. But I think rock climbing walls are an improvement. I don't, I don't know. I'll mix with some great instruction. What do you think? All right. So anyway, why did I say that? Here's why I said that. Because people get to be my age, going to church, and then there's this amazing phenomenon that happens where people just, like, quit. They just quit. They're like, ah, oh, I'm tired. I know all the answers. I've been there. I've heard it all. I've been through it all. And let me just tell you if, you, if you think that any preacher exists to tell you something absolutely brand new every week, you got another thing coming. Because how many of you know our problem is not that we don't know enough? Our problem is that we don't practice enough. 
And let me just tell you this. The reason that so many people are bored at church is because you're a spectator and not a participant. All right? And so you're going to be really bored. Like, it's, it's amazing to me today. Today is like the epitome of what I'm talking about. The world, well, not all the world, but some of the world, will be glued to a football game, the Super Bowl. There's going to be 100,000 people packed into a stadium. It doesn't matter how cold, how warm, whatever, how much those tickets cost. They will pay the ultimate price. If I tell you this, if the Super Bowl was played in Chicago and it was 50 below zero, I guarantee you, Soldier Field would have been packed. Yep. I mean, you know, that's absolutely the truth. It is absolutely the truth. People would have been, you know, covered in clothes. They'd be drunk by the time they get in there to put all the, the uh, alcohol in their radiator to keep them warm. Um, but no, and, and, and some guys would have been there with their shirts off. Um, those are the same people that would never think of raising their hands at church to worship God. But, but they're there. They, they got face paint on, you know, grown men. These are the same guys that have a hard time being passionate about Jesus. I don't understand it, but... My point is this, there's going to be 100,000 people and millions of people watching on television, and there's going to be 22 people sweating like crazy on the football field, 22 people running up and down, fighting like crazy, worn out, there's going to be millions of people just doing this, (laughs) and then racing to the bathroom to empty everything, and then coming back and repeating that process, and by the end of the spectacle, they're going to need to take a nap. And all that they did was eat and spectate. You don't know what I'm talking about? It's a picture of the church. It's a picture of the church. It's a prophetic sign of our dysfunction. And I've just found this to be the case, that number one, if we don't preach a good theology about what we're called to be and what we're called to do, we end up with spectators. And so I will, first of all, take, take some blame for the church in America that we have, a, we have become a, a church of couch potatoes instead of warriors. Because here's the deal. We pretty much preach a consumer-driven message in America where our goal is to help people become the best version of them that they can be. And how many of you have kind of figured out we've kind of inverted the gospel? Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus will absolutely make you the greatest version of you that you ever could possibly be. But it's a subtle shift, and I want to get back to the roots of what we were called to be and do. And I want you to dream with me of what it would look like if every one of us really embraced the call to drop our nets and to follow Christ. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. And I want to read here an opening volley and kind of lay out very simply and very basically um, the components of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Look at Mark 1, 16 through 18. You can follow along on the screen with me. It says, as Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, he noticed two brothers that were fishing, Simon and Andrew. He watched them as they were casting their nets into the sea. And he said to them, come follow me. I will transform you into men who catch people instead of fish. And look at verse 18. Immediately, they dropped their nets, they left everything behind, and they began to follow Jesus. Now, I want to lay some foundation here because we read that and it doesn't hit us the way that it should hit us. Because here's the deal. How many of you know why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born on this earth and to live, you know, 30 plus years, sinless life, and then to be crucified, and then to be buried, 
and then to raise again. What's the purpose of all this? Why did God do all that? How many of you know he had a very clear mission in mind? How many of you know Jesus was not an accident? Jesus was in the heart and mind of the Father from before the fall. God Almighty knew what would happen to us, and he knew the pain and the brokenness and the sin and the alienation and everything that would keep us from him. And how many of you know because he knew that, he had made preparation to send Jesus Christ, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. So my point is this, Jesus came here on assignment, and if, here's the question I want to ask you. If you're Jesus, you're the Son of God, you're, you're partnering with God Almighty to redeem the planet, and you hired a marketing firm for the big rollout. I mean, this is serious business. Are you with me? People's souls are hanging in the balance. This is serious business. God sends his son to redeem a broken, fallen, messed up world. You would want to make sure that the launch was huge. Am I, are you guys thinking like American consumers with me? You know how much money people are going to spend on Super Bowl commercials this afternoon. I mean, this is a big deal. God is getting ready to unfold the plan to redeem the entire cosmos, and here's how he does it. He sends his son for a walk on the beach. His carpenter's son, who has been hiding undercover for three decades in obscurity, and now he's unveiling his plan to reach the world by sending his son for a stroll on the beach. And the Bible says this is how a, a world-shaking movement begins. Jesus notices a couple guys in a fishing village who have been doing what they've been doing all their lives, fishing, who have been doing what their parents taught them a generation before, fishing, what their grandparents did before them, fishing. How many of you know this is a fishing village with normal guys fishing? Uh, and Jesus simply extends an invitation to two obscure guys to follow him. And you ready for this? A movement is launched. Impressive, isn't it? Stunning, staggering. No, we almost, when we read this, we almost yawn. We almost just gloss over it. This was the beginning of a radical movement that's still shaking the globe even today. A movement of people coming to know Christ, being radically encountered by Christ and changing the world. It all started with this encounter right here. And I want you to see from these couple of verses, and this is just our opening volley. This is basic stuff, but I want to challenge you in your thinking this morning with just three things this passage reveals about what it is to be a disciple, what it is to be a follower of Jesus. A disciple, first of all, is someone who I want to emphasize follows Jesus. It's a follower. How many of you know follower is an action word? It's a verb. It's not a passive thing. It's a verb. Jesus said simply, come and follow. Now, theologically speaking, what that is is it's, it's called a call. How many of you know if you're in Christ today and you're a Jesus lover, wave at me if you're a Jesus lover, that at some point in your life, you received a call. It wasn't a phone call that said, hey, are you busy? Can you come over for some pizza or something? How many of you know the call of God carries with it the power to accomplish what it's asking? I'll unpack that in just a moment. But we had a call. Jesus invites a few men to simply stop and drop what they're doing, drop their nets. And I want you to notice Jesus wasn't recruiting them to a program. This is really important. 
Some of us have been raised in settings for so long, religious settings, that we've lost the gospel. Jesus never calls you to a church. He never calls you to a ministry. He never calls you to a program. Listen to me. He calls you to himself. And it's what separates dead, boring religion from a supernatural relationship with the creator and king of the universe. And I just want to challenge us with this. As soon as our calling gets dead or dry or boring, as soon as you feel emotionally distant from God, you're in a bad place. We have to fight, just like we teach about fighting in your marriage, or fighting for your kids, or fighting for your friendships, fighting for peace. You have to be intentional about pursuing a relationship with God. And how many of you know it's an activity? It's an action thing. You you cannot be passive. You just don't sit in church and hope to have a God encounter. When God calls you to himself, That call means it's an invitation. He's going somewhere, and you have to begin moving somewhere. That's the the initial born-again experience. I'm telling you, I want to scream this to you. It is a relationship with your Creator. Nothing will satisfy you except a relationship with your Creator. No religious activity will ever satisfy you. It was not meant to satisfy you. You were meant to be awakened by a God who loves you so much and who loves me so much. It's a relationship and an invitation to the Father. And what is he looking for? And I want you to hear this. If you could imagine Jesus saying, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. I only have three years, but I'm going to invest my life in you men. What is he trying to accomplish in three years? I'll tell you, he's trying to accomplish two things. I want to so invest in you that you look like me, you act like me, you think like me, that your character is transformed, and so that by second nature, you act like I act. And then hear this, because I'm getting ready to leave, and I'm passing the baton of my mission to you. The mission is in your hands. Does anybody feel responsibility? I remember the first time my dad or mom handed me car keys, or the first time they gave me a credit card, or the first time they put money in my hand. I felt this incredible sense of responsibility that I had been given uh, something that I had to steward well, and the weight of that was awesome. Listen to what I'm saying to you today. This is what Jesus expects from every one of us. I want you, I'm speaking in first person here, as if Jesus were speaking to you. I'm wanting you to look like me, think like me, act like me, behave just like me, and I'm putting the mission in your hands. Don't drop the ball. People's lives are hanging in the balance. Don't drop the ball. Well, but but pastor, I don't think Jesus is really talking to me. Now, let me help you. He's talking to you. Has anybody noticed the two guys Jesus started the movement with? And I'm speaking, I'm speaking to every man in this room. I'm reading your mail because I know how you think. Look, dude, I'm just an auto mechanic. I'm not one of those religious kind of people. I'm not good at reading. I, you know, I just barely made it through school. And you're, you pastoral types, you're always telling us to read stuff. But dude, I don't read, all right? I don't read. I know who I'm talking to. Look, I work with my hands. Some of you got calluses in your hands. You know, you, you preacher types, you're all up there in the clouds. But look, I go out and work with my hands every day. See these calluses? Did you notice who Jesus started a movement with? 
These are calloused hand, hardworking, blue collar, not from the right side of town, don't have all the training, don't think they're smart enough. These are the guys Jesus launches the movement with. Now, I'm, I'm speaking to every guy in this room. The Bible's talking to you, and that should excite you on the one hand and scare you on the other hand. Because the exciting part is this. Jesus would pick a man like me? Jesus would pick somebody like me? Yeah, isn't that awesome? It's honoring. It's stunning. But then you say this. Jesus would pick someone like me? And then you freak out. Because you realize he just commissioned you with the plan to redeem the cosmos for the glory of God. It's kind of a big deal. But what I'm trying to say to all of us here is this series is for every hardworking, callous hand, get up early, hit it hard, come home tired, provide for the family. He's talking to you. And that to me is awesome. It's exciting because he's not talking to the religious folks of his day. He's talking to people like us. In fact, let me help us all out. It was the religious folks that called the people Jesus called in Acts 4.12. He called them unlearned and ignorant. So how many of you feel unlearned and ignorant? Great. You're part of the plan. You're the secret sauce. You're the weapon. Oh, man, I'm so stupid. Yes, that's exactly what he's looking for. I, Pastor, I don't know up from down. Yeah, exactly. Fill out the application. You're who we want. Hallelujah. Because check this out. In the rabbinical schools of Jesus' day, it was like you go and you sign up for who you want to follow. You say, man, I want to be part of Andy's. Rabbi Andy, I want to be part of his, his school. And you fill out the application and you turn it in. And, uh, and then I'm going to submit myself to his teaching. I'm going to become just like him. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to pick up his accent. Whatever it is, I'm going to dress like him. I'm going to be like Andy. But guess what Jesus does? Jesus turns the whole thing upside down. Jesus has no application process. Jesus initiates the process. And Jesus goes up to Joe and says, Joe, I want you to follow me. What he was saying is, I want to teach you to be just like me. You, don't ha- you didn't have to fill out the application. I'm going after you. I want you in my school. I want you to learn from me. This is stunning. Imagine if you're a guy out there, you just pulled in your empty net. You smell like fish. You got calluses all over your hands. You're sunbaked from being out in the sun. You got salty skin from the salt water splashing on you. And all of a sudden, this man named Jesus who's performing all these miracles and doing all this crazy stuff comes up to you and says, I'm calling you. I want you to follow me. It was incredibly honoring. It was shocking. It turned the whole world upside down. It was like none other. But let me focus on this for a moment. I want to dispel the notion that if any of you are here today and you're a lover of Jesus, that you're here by your own smartness, by your own goodwill, by your great heart, because you're just a good person, by the wisdom of your great choice. Because Jesus, in choosing those who follow him, again, turns religion upside down. You know, the Pharisees were the ones that prided themselves on how religious they could be, how holy they could be, how much scripture they could memorize. Y'all with me? But listen to what Jesus says, John 15, verse 16. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And listen, the choice of God is the power 
that sets in motion the conversion of your wicked heart and my wicked heart. It rips the blinders off my blind eyes and it resurrects my dead, my dead spirit and causes me to live. That's the power of the call. Jesus makes it very clear. I don't know how people mess up this verse, but to me it's as clear as can be. You didn't choose me. I chose you. But pastor, I remember I came to the altar. I said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, you did. But what happened before then? It was the Holy Spirit chasing you now, breaking you down, breaking your heart, crushing your self-will, tearing the blinders off your eyes. All you did was run to the altar and say, yes, I do. But it was the Lord that captured you, loved you, awakened you, had mercy on you. Well, all those times you should have been dead from stupid things you did. Yeah, that was his love too and his mercy too. Because God has a call on your life. And he chose you and you're here. You're here at this meeting because you're chosen. I once sat in a meeting for graduate school and this is how the teacher started off. He said, all of you have been accepted into this program. That's the good news. The bad news is one out of two of you will never finish the program. So look around. That's what he said. That was the warm welcome. So look around. Well, I got news for you. You've all been invited into this program. And by the grace of God and because of his goodness, you're all going to finish the program because the God who started the work in you is faithful to finish it. That's the good news. If you were invited to represent the United States of America in this next year's Olympics, all right, let's just say the Summer Olympics, not as a spectator, but as a competitor, what would you be thinking right now? (laughs) First of all, there would be a great sense of honor. You're picturing yourself standing on the stage. The, The big American flag is being drop down and they're playing the national anthem as they're putting a gold medal around your neck. Anybody getting the vision with me? And then you realize the only running you've been doing is from the couch to the refrigerator. (laughs) And while you are so excited that you have been chosen to represent your country in the greatest of all sporting events, then it dawns on you, you've been a spectator, not a participant. So what would you maybe do. You would probably start exercising. Now, it would be out of two things. It would be out of a desire for honoring your country, but I'll tell you the second more powerful desire, not to embarrass yourself. (laughs) Can't you see yourself? You take off out of the blocks. You get like three steps, and your legs melt like butter, and you just fall on the track, (laughs) gasping for air. Everybody's watching. Who is that? Oh, that's Ron Johnson in lane three, representing the United States of America. Oh, No, nobody would want that to happen. So isn't it amazing that we're not called in the church to be competitors? You've been, I mean, to be spectators. You've been called to represent the kingdom of God. I want this to sink in. You're called to represent the king and the kingdom of God in this world. This is the greatest honor that anybody could ever be bestowed with. And there should be something in you if you're born again, that you say, I don't want to drop the baton. I don't, want to, I don't want to come unprepared. The honor of what I've been called into is worthy of my full investment. It's worthy of my best effort. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We have an overwhelming sense of responsibility, first of all, to our teammates 
and to our country and to our king. And so here's the deal. We've been chosen and called and commissioned by Jesus. And, you know, here's where the illustration breaks down because, frankly, I'm not waiting for a phone call to represent my country in the Olympics. You know why? Because I'm not fast. And I'm not strong enough. And I'm not talented enough. And I'm not good enough at any Olympic event. That's how we call people based on their skill. But look what the Bible says. I'm just trying to humble us again, put us on even ground, and realize the call of God on our life is amazing. Look at what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.9. God has saved us, and God has called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This is incredible. Have you ever paused and asked this question, why am I saved? It's a great question. I mean, sometime in the middle of worship, when you're, when you're just in love with Jesus, your heart's on fire, you're so passionate for God, ask yourself, why me? Why me? Let me tell you why you. The grace of God. The mercy of God, the pleasure of God. God took pleasure in me even when I was an enemy of his? Yeah, that's stunning. The pleasure of God displayed in my life, the favor of God displayed in my life. I'm telling you this morning, it's a privilege to be born again. It's a privilege to be a son or daughter of God. It's a privilege to be in the kingdom of God. It's a privilege to be a part of the mission of God. It's a privilege, and it was something that happened to us because of God's mercy and love, not because of anything in us or anything that we did. So first of all, we have this call to follow Jesus. Secondly, what is a disciple? This is good news, too. It's a disciple is someone who's being changed by Jesus. Notice Jesus said, I will make you. I will make you. Now, can I just tell you how Jesus turned things upside down as well? We're living in the most independent, autonomous, self-centered. We can even get to choose our gender. I mean, that's, that's how crazy it is. We can, I can choose whatever I'm feeling. I can, choose to be, I can choose to be another race. I can choose, I can choose to be a woman competing in high school sports as a man as long as I feel that way. We're in the most crazy, insane, out of touch with reality culture in America that I can possibly think of. It's nuts. And let me tell you why it's nuts, because we got a bunch of people trying to find themselves. Can I give you all a hint? You'll never become who you're supposed to be apart from Jesus Christ. In other words, check this out. When you lose your life, you don't lose yourself or your personality. When you lose your life to follow Jesus, you actually, in encountering true life, He makes you into the person and transforms you into the most fully human, awesome version of you you can possibly conceive of. That's what it means to follow Jesus. He heals you. He gives you identity. 
He gives you purpose. He gives you unconditional love. He shows you how you were supposed to live. He teaches you how you're wired so you you don't hate yourself. You love yourself because you realize you're made like a masterpiece by God. He takes you back through all the junk that's happened to you, and he restores you, and he sets you free so that you can be just like him in this earth, only your version of him because he made you to reflect his glory in a unique way. This is awesome. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Salvation is really a matter of transformation, not relocation. Let me explain that in a minute. It's not primarily about ending up in the right place, heaven, but rather being made into the right person. This is what the Bible teaches, and it's stunning. The moment you encounter Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit came to live within you, you are living eternal life now. I don't wait till I die to experience eternal life. I just move from this world instantly into the next because I am not going to die, at least not in the spiritual sense. The issue of our Christian life is not about relocation. Someday I'm going to heaven. Someday I'm going there. Someday I'm moving from here. I'm going there. That's already taken care of. Here's the issue of Christianity. Transformation. Christianity brings us the power to change. And if we were honest in the deepest part of our being, those moments when you're alone with just you, which is very hard for Americans, right? Because we got so many distractions. I think it was Blaise Pascal. He said that one, of the, one of the most difficult things for people to do is be alone with themselves. Because when we're alone with ourselves and we're not distracted, we realize that there's so much about ourselves that we really don't like. We realize how depressed we are, how discouraged we are, how disillusioned we are, how alienated we are. And when we take the time to get in touch with ourselves, we realize that the greatest hope we have in this world is being transformed by Jesus into the person that we always wished we could become. That beautiful person, that patient person, that loving and kind person, that person that lives and serves other people, that person that knows how to love God the way God created us to know him and to love him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's the promise of transformation that Jesus says, if you'll follow me, I'm going to make you into somebody you always dreamed of being on your best day. And it's not a, it's not a fairy tale. It's not, a, oh, that would be great if that were true. No, it's the truth. We actually get to be the people that we always wished we could be. And the cool thing is when we're invited to the Olympics to represent our country, we don't have to figure it out by ourselves because we're promised the best coach. His name's Jesus. You know, I always find it interesting that sometimes we have people training our kids in certain things that have never done what they're training our kids in. In other words, you know, I shared this morning when my son Jason was running, was running track and he was learning hurdles. How many of you know hurdles is an art? You can watch on Facebook bad pictures of people that don't know how to hurdle. It's really funny and really painful all at the same time. Because little kids will go run and they try to jump up and swing their leg up and they catch their foot and they face plant on the pavement. I mean, it's painful. Well, guess what? Mr. Vassar was a very, very good track star back in the day. And guess what he did? He pulled Jason aside and he taught him how to do the steps right and how to lift his leg right and how to go over the hurdles. And, and guess what happened as a result? He was a really good hurdler. But you know what? I didn't teach him that. 
because I'm good at face plants, all right? <laughs> and so I didn't teach him how to hurdle. We had somebody teach him how to do something that was really an expert at it. Can I just tell you something? In this call to discipleship, Jesus promises to be with us, to coach us, to love us, to be patient with us, to envision us, to help us, to empower us. Isn't this awesome? This walk comes with a coach, a coach that's already won the race and can show us how to do it ourselves. This is awesome. So we're called, 1 Corinthians 1.9, we're called into partnership with his son. Isn't that awesome? Partnership with his son. Look at what Romans 1.6 says. We've received the call to belong to Jesus. So check this out. When we're saved, we're saved for belonging. We're saved for partnership. We're saved to walk with God, to know God, to experience God. We're saved for friendship. We're saved for relationship. That's what it means. We're, we're disciples to, to, that are called to know him, to love him, to believe in him, to be committed to him. And I want to just remind us that salvation is the starting point not the finish line. You know, I talked to somebody one time. At least they were honest. I appreciate honest people, all right? And this is what he said. Look, pastor, I don't want to go to a life group. I don't want to go to the men's encounter. I don't want to do anything. I just want to come to church. I want to be a part of the worship service, and I want to go home, and I want people to leave me alone. Let me just ask you a question. Is that discipleship or is that fire insurance? I just want to remind all of you, Jesus is not an insurance salesman. I don't know if any of you are insurance salesmen, thank God for you. We, we need it. But Jesus is not in the fire insurance business. The only people going to heaven, listen to this, our disciples. I'm trying to get your attention. The only people in heaven are disciples. See, here's the deal. Some people think there's run-of-the-mill army people, right? We're, we're in the Lord's army. Run-of-the-mill folks, and then there's special ops. Disciples are special ops. The rest of us, we're just hanging out. But we're having a good time. We love Jesus. We're going to heaven. That is not true. There's only one category. Disciples. One category. There are no special ops. There's just Jesus and all of us normal guys that were holding a net one day, and then we dropped it, and then we started following him. What I'm saying is this, nobody gets to heaven without an encounter that's real with Jesus. And you don't get to heaven holding on to your nets. We got a lot of people that want to just hold on to everything that was part of their life before they were saved. You have to drop your nets. That's called repentance. You have to drop the nets. You have to be moving. Now hear me. I know with this many people, people are here from all different seasons of life. Some of you are in a ditch. Some of you are hurting. Some of you feel disqualified. Some of you feel far from God. Pastor, are you saying that God doesn't love me and I'm not going to heaven? Not at all. It's not what I'm saying. I am saying this. Only disciples go to heaven. 
That means we follow Christ. That means we're being transformed by Jesus, which means we're not the same person we were when we said yes and we dropped the net. Is it? In other words, we don't stay stuck, selfish, angry, addicted, abusive, uh, and we just show up at church on Sunday. That's not what disciples do. Disciples, Jesus said, follow me. I'm going to make you. I'm going to transform you. And let me show you something else. Let's go to the last point. When we are called by the Lord to follow him, we are called uh, to the one who is on, we're called to be on mission with Jesus. Now this is radical, because here's what I'm telling you. Jesus doesn't come into our lives like icing on the cake. Jesus is the whole cake. And the problem with many of us is we have trouble. Why is there such a gap between what I know to be true and the life that I'm living? Here's, here's why. I'll show, you, I'll show you why. This is an amazing, amazing quote. Jesus is not a stagehand in the play that I'm writing and starring in. I'm no longer the star of the show. It's not about me. He displaced me from the center of my own life. But this new role means that I get to be part of something bigger than writing my own autobiography. I've been invited into God's story, the biggest and best story of them all. Can you see what happens? When people take their American dream life and then just add Jesus to it, what you get is a really boring, self-centered life, and then you get mad at God at some point because he's not blessing your life. God's not trying to bless your life. He's trying to kill you. God could care less, hear me, God could care less about blessing your life in the way that you think. He's trying to get you out of your life into his life. He's trying to, he's trying to remove you from the center of your boring little autobiography. I'm just going to personalize this because some of you are thinking, Pastor, you're insulting me. All right, let me just insult myself. My life is not exciting enough to be the center of the universe. And let me give you a hint. Yours isn't either. At the end of the day, I'm just being honest. At the end of the day, I am a boring person. Thank God for my wife. She, she adds some excitement to me. She spruces me up. She makes me palatable. Thank God for her. I would be, I'd be in a closet for the rest of my life reading a book or something. I'm boring. All right? But check this out. When you get born again and God grabs you, he brings you into his story. His story is awesome. His story keeps you on the edge. His story is involved about people and touching people and loving people and changing people. And check this out. I'm just giving you the overview. I'm giving you the cliff notes. You come to know Christ. There's a radical change in the core of your being. Are you perfect? No. Are you doing it all right? No. Do you still struggle with selfishness? Absolutely you do. Are you this you know, glow-in-the-dark kind of Christian the moment you say yes to Christ? No, but here's what changes. The core of your being changes. And you realize it's not about you. 
and you realize, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for changing me and pulling me out of that cruddy, disgusting life that I live. Thank you, God Almighty. And then here, now check this out. Now you say, now what am I supposed to do? That's why we exist. We're here to help you. Pastor, I just got saved, but I've I've beat up my wife with my words. I've damaged her. My family's a mess. I don't even know how to rebuild my marriage. We can help. But check this out. We're not helping you so you feel better. That's too small of a goal. We're not helping you so your marital satisfaction score goes up by two. Who cares? We're helping you so that your marriage reflects what the kingdom of God looks like and that your marriage becomes a picture of Jesus' love for his church. Now, when that happens, you're going to be clicking on all cylinders. But it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about getting restored. Man, we just had a great class today dealing with the soul wounds. Why are we having that class? Because you'll never be transformed in the best version of you until you let Jesus show you why you're messed up, hurt, stuck, broken, wounded, why you can't seem to move off square one. But once you see it, and once you invite the resources in, guess what happens? You get changed. Isn't this great? This is awesome. But here's where the ball drops. Hear me. Every single person in this room, this is the absolute expectation Jesus has for your life. I don't care who you are. You're going to take what you've received and you are going to absolutely give it away to somebody else. And you're going to invest in a broken person because you once were one. And you're going to share Jesus with other people because you were once lost. And you're going to go jump in a ditch with somebody who's at the end of their life because you were once in a ditch and somebody jumped in and got you. And you're going to love on people's marriages and help them experience life because you remember when your marriage was full of pain. And you're going to take what you received and you're going to give it away because that's what disciples do, not special ops Christians. Everybody does that because that's what Jesus did for us. And Jesus said, if you want more, you've got to give it away. And if you want more of me in your life, you've got to take what you receive, and you've got to love other people. You have to teach people out of what you've received and bring them up to the level of healing where you're at. You can't bring them any higher than that. That's why we need somebody still pouring into us. Is this making sense? I still need to be discipled. I still need to get more of God. I still need to understand this better. But I'll tell you what, you'll never get more of Jesus in your life until you make a commitment that you're going to be not only a disciple, but a disciple maker. You're going to impact somebody else with what you receive. And listen, this is when it gets to be fun. Because when these fishermen, with their callous, bloody hands, smelling like salt water, or worse, dead fish, whatever they smelled like, when they started laying hands on broken people, and Jesus started healing them, You remember those stories? They came running back. They were so excited. They said, Jesus, we used your name. And demons started fleeing out of people. It was awesome. These were fishermen. Are you kidding me? They're like demons started leaving people. Jesus, this was so cool. And this is what Jesus said. He goes, hey, settle down. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Rejoice, rejoice that I'm the center of your life and that you're able to take what you've received and you're able to give it away. I got one last thing I want to ask you. What do you think would happen if the church in America started getting back 
to disciple making. People, people have asked me, Pastor, with all this going on in the world, what New York City just did, all this insanity and darkness, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'll tell you what we need to do. Make disciples who think like Jesus, love like Jesus, act like Jesus, and carry the anointing of God on our lives. How do you change a nation? One person at a time. One life at a time. One neighborhood at a time. If the church will get back to being disciples and making disciples, we'll change the world. I'll tell you, we'll at least change our neighborhood. We'll at least change this region. How many of you believe what I'm talking about? This was the secret weapon of the Son of God to walk down a beach and talk to two fishermen. He said, if you guys can do what I'm doing, we'll take over the planet. Now here's what we should be saying. Lord, help me. That's what I want. Lord, help me. Guess what the church exists for? To equip you, to show you. We're going to get there, all right? This is just week one. Everybody all right with me? Week one. How many disciples in this place? All right, let me ask this trick question, trick question. Pay attention, Larry. (laughs) Trick question. How many disciple makers in this place? Oh, good, because they should be the same hands. Now, some of you might be saying, I'm not doing that so well. I need some help. You're at the right place. But if your heart's willing and you have a vision for it, God will use you to impact many, many people. That's why we're here. Amen. Stand to your feet. Here's what I want to do as we walk out of this place today. I want you right where you're at to think about what we just talked about. Think about your encounter with God and how fresh that relationship is. Think about your willingness to how about say this, Lord, I want to be transformed to be the best version of me I can possibly be. Change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. And some of you need to do this. You need to say, Jesus, count me in on the mission. Forgive me for being a spectator. Count me in. Help show me what I can do to be a blessing to other people. I want us to sing this song as we, as we close. And you know what? I want our leadership team to come forward. There might be some of you here today. You came to the Lord looking just for, for fire insurance, escape from hell. But you heard today that Jesus has so much more. I want you to come and surrender and ask the Lord to be the blazing center of your life, that the master and his message and his call on your life would be the blazing center of who you are. And it requires a shift in our thinking and a shift in our hearts. Come on, this is going to be one of those Sundays that for some of you is a game-changing Sunday. You need to drop your nets. You need to drop your nets, the Lord says. You need to put it all aside. Some of you need to repent of things that you keep trying to bring along for the journey when the Lord says, drop that stuff. It's like stinky fish. Drop it and follow me. So we're going to worship our way out. And if you need prayer for any of those things, even just fresh consecration, I want you to come forward. But worship team, lead us in this call to make Jesus the center, the way, the truth, the life. Come on, let's lift our voices, lift our hearts, lift our hands.